represent the views of Radio Free Brooklyn, its staff, or management. Thank you for listening, and have a dope day! Good morning, good morning. Welcome to What Would Kay Say? I am your host, Kay Edwards. How are all my blessed and highly favored people doing today? Well, here we are. Another week in the record books. Glory be to God for bringing us together again, right? Another day, another week. And for giving us relief from this weather, right? From all the hot weather that we've been having here in the East Coast. But we're going to continue with today's topic, which was part of our series titled Love, Lust, Sex, and the Pursuit of Happiness. And we're going into part three of this series. Now, we covered love, which was part one, 
And we said that God is love. Everything that he does is in love. We covered lust, which we confirm was a very strong sexual desire. How everything that God created, the enemy tries to pervert and destroy. And today, we are moving on to sex. Now, if you missed any of the first parts of this series, or any of my shows for that matter, you can find them on my show page on RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. You can find them on Spotify, Apple, and all podcast platforms. So here we are at the most salacious part of the series. It's a topic that most people are unwilling to discuss. It makes them feel uncomfortable. And it's a topic that most are not willing to admit that they think about. Sex. Parents don't want to discuss it with their children. Couples have a difficult time talking about it amongst each other. We have gotten so created when creative when talking about sex today that we use code words like dancing, knocking boots, 20 toes, milkshake, smashing, shagging, getting lucky, eating cake. (laughs) That made me laugh because I like to eat cake. So I wonder if sometimes what I used to say to my friend, oh, I just want a piece of cake. If they thought that maybe I was really referring to, well, never mind. We won't go into that. We'll just keep it where we're at, right? But why? Why is it because, why is it that we are so unwilling or feel so uncomfortable discussing sex? Is it because perhaps that we see ourselves as Adam and Eve saw themselves in the garden after they ate from the tree? Do we feel like we've sinned against God when we discuss it outside of the marital bedroom? Because we're not following his instructions on how we should conduct ourselves? What we must remember is that the feelings of sex is natural. It's a part of our lives. God created it. So now, what is sex? Sex, we can define in many ways. The dictionary has two meanings for this. It's either of the two main categories, male and female, into which humans and most other living things are divided, on the basis of their reproductive functions. Or it can mean, when you're speaking in reference to people, sexual activity, including specifically sexual intercourse. Now, the terms by which we use sex, sex is all about physical interaction. Sex is an emotional feeling that we all have and want to fulfill. 
Sex was God's way of allowing us to express our love to our partners, becoming one flesh. But as with everything God created, the enemy turns it into something bad. Sex, physical interactions, was, by God's standards, never supposed to be used as a bargaining tool to obtain what we want. But we see this being done time and time again. Hence, a harlot is born. Now, the oldest occupation in the world, right? Sex in exchange for money or goods or farm animals, whatever was the currency at the time, or whatever the woman wanted at the time. It was a common practice for women to sleep with men who had money if she had lost her husband. She was looking for someone to take care of her because women were not considered equal to men and could not own property. And if they lost their husbands, they were looked at as, you know, being just discarded. And they needed someone to take care of them. Or... If you never had a husband, they just needed someone to take care of them. Think about the woman at the well who had all those husbands. It wasn't like she wanted husbands. She needed someone to take care of her. So when you think about it, when you really think about it, it's not too different from what some women want today, right? A man to take care of them. Although most would never admit that. So here we have our first encounter of a harlot in Genesis 38. Here we see Tamar, the daughter-in-law of Judah. She plays the role of a harlot in order to fulfill her desire of having an heir after the death of her son. Now, Judah, I'm going to give you, you know, I always give you the background story of what's going on, but then you can always go read it for yourself. And this is Genesis 38. Judah had three sons. One was named Er, or Er, Onan, and Shelah. So we're going to pick up the story from Genesis verse 13, but I want to give you a little background, like I said. Now, Judah's son, Er, was his firstborn, and he married Tamar. But because he was so wicked, God saw him as being so wicked, God killed him. And don't you know when God sees you as being wicked, he'll take you out. So he took out Er because he was so wicked. So then Judah said to his next son, Onan, go to your brother's wife and marry her so that you, she can have an heir and you can raise him up and, you know, he'll be. You know, they always wanted heirs back in those days. But Onan knew that if he laid with his brother's wife, that the heir wouldn't be his, it would be his brother's. So he went to his brother's wife, but when it came time for ejaculation, he put it on the ground rather than put it in her. And that this displeased God, and so God killed him. So now we have one more son left who's the baby. So Judah tells Tamar, Go back to your father's house, and when my youngest son grows up, I will give him to you to be your husband. So Tamar went back home, figuring, saying, okay, I'll wait. I'll wait for the little boy to be old enough to, you know, 
interact with me that way. And then I'll have an heir and all will be well. So now, in the process of all that happening, Judah's wife dies. And so Judah is left all alone. So now, Tamar hears this. News gets back to Tamar that Judah's wife has died and that Judah is going up into the mountains with his friends to shear his sheep, right? So this is where we pick it up, verse 13. And it was told to Tamar, look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she took off her widow's garments, covered herself with a veil, and wrapped herself and sat in an open place which was on the way to Timnah, for she saw that Sheila was grown and she was not given him as a wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot because she had her face covered. Because she had covered her face. Then he turned to her by the way and said, Please let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. So she said, What will you give me that you may come into me? And he said, I will send a young goat from the flock. And she said, will you give me a pledge to you send it? Then he said, what pledge shall I give you? So she said, your signet and cord and your staff that is in your hand. Then he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. So she rose and went away and laid aside her veil and put on the garments of her widowhood. Blessed is the reading of the Lord. Now, this story right there, just just those couple of verses that I read, is full of so many nuggets from the topic that we're talking about. We have a man in need of fulfilling a sexual desire that has nothing to do with love, nothing to do with lust, just purely fulfilling a sexual desire. He solicited a young woman that he saw on the road. Judah was turning to a woman to fulfill the need that he couldn't fulfill anymore because his wife had died. Now, when you look at it from Tamar's angle, Tamar was looking to fulfill a need that she needed to have satisfied. It wasn't sex she needed. She needed an heir. She needed something that would allow her to continue to survive if something were to happen even to Judah How would she be taken care of? Or even to her father, how would she be taken care of? If she had a son, the son would then inherit what Judah had. So when you look at it from her angle, she needed something from him as well. She needed financial stability. It was a pure exchange. It was an exchange for a physical encounter. She was going to get money. Well, she was going to get the goat that he promised her. But she got something much more. She conceived. Remember to fruitful and multiply. 
every time you get entangled, there's always that possibility of you conceiving. In this case, she happened to she wanted to conceive. Today, we see this happening in relationships, right? Women that conduct themselves in exchange for money. But they're called prostitutes now, right? But what about those that don't openly exchange themselves for money? What about the ones that appear to be in a relationship in order to receive goods and money? We call those women gold diggers, right? A person who forms a relationship with others purely to extract money from them. A woman who strives to marry a wealthy man. Sex for money today is not strictly for a woman to be taken care of. It can be purely for pleasure. And the enemy knows how powerful the emotion to be physical is in a human being and he exploits it. Hence, pornography was born. Paying money to view sexual acts that are being conducted by others in order to satisfy your own sexual desires. But don't think that sexual immorality began today. It's been around for as long as sex has been around. Why do you think that God wrote about it in his commandments. The seventh commandment states it made the top 10. It actually made two spots in the top 10 of the commandments. The seventh commandment states that thou shall not commit adultery, which is that's a fancy word of saying, don't go sleeping around with somebody that is not yours, right? Then it makes his debut again. In the top 10 list, commandment number 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. Mm, Wait, wait for it. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Mm, Wait for it. Nor his male servant. Mm, Wait for it. Nor his female servant, nor his oxen, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Now, covet. A lot of people say, oh, you look at it, you're jealous, you want it. Yes, that could be covet. But covet means to yearn to have. So who's to say hmm, that coveting was just, oh, I see that car. I wish I had it. I wish it was mine. So if he says, covet your neighbor's wife. Oh, I see his wife. She's sexy. She's beautiful. I wish she were mine. You wish she was mine. You wish she was yours. For what reason? For what reason? If you see her, like Jesus said, when you think about doing something to someone, even if you don't do it or speak it out, it's just like as if you committed the sin. So if you see the wife and you wish that she was yours, what are you thinking about when you saw her and you wish that she was yours? You just wanted her to be around to what, cook and clean? I think not. So here we go. Like I said. It made two slots in the top 10. 
right? So here we go back now to show you 1 Corinthians 7, 2 to 9. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, immorality, hmm, tongue tied, let every man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent from a time for a time that you may find yourselves to fasting and praying and come together again so that, hear this, Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were even as I am, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them that they remain as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. That, that right there where Paul is talking about, when he says as himself, because Paul never married. So he was saying, if you can, and if God has deemed you to be that way, so yes, okay, you won't get married, but he's not going, Paul wasn't going around sleeping around with other people. You contain yourself. You take on the act of celibacy. You practice abstinence. But he's saying if you can't do all that, then yeah, it's good for you to get married. It's, it's for you to get married rather than to burn with passion. Because even Paul knew that was something that God had created in us. That there's no, we cannot, con- it takes a lot of self-control to not want to indulge in sexual activities because that's something natural that you get in your body. It's just as natural as breathing. It's just something that happens. God made us that way. He wired us that way. First Corinthians 10, eight warns us of what happens to those who commit sexual immorality, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all of these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonish, admonition, upon whom the end of the ages have come. Now, admonition is a fancy word of saying it was written so that we could feel the disgust and hatred towards all that is sinful to God. So in other words, he's saying they told us about all those things that happened to those who committed sexual immorality so that we would know today, mm, 
God really doesn't, he doesn't really condone that. Yes, he made you wired to want to have sex, but he made you wired to want to have sex in a certain arena, the marital status, the marital bedroom, everything, the, the coming together of two as one to stay together until the end of time. That was the arena that it was supposed to be used in. Not just willy-nilly to do whatever you want. But I will leave you with this. Galatians 5, 16 to 17. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Right there, Paul is telling us, It's going to be a constant war. If we don't battle with anything else, if anyone, okay, let me put it this way. If you're having a battle within yourself, the biggest battle, whether people want to admit it or not, the biggest battle that human beings have within themselves is the battle of suppressing that sexual desire. And we see it come out in so many different forms. We see it come out in when people are raped. And although they say rape is a, a act of anger, you can express anger with, to somebody else other than wanting to sexually violate them. I think it's, it's tied in too. Yes, you might be angry, but you're still, it's still that release that you have within deep down with inside of you. We see it come out in pedophilia, right? Perverted, oh, you want to be with little kids rather than be with someone that is of your age and maturity level. We see it in incest, right? You you want to sleep with what's close to you in your house because that's, that's your first encounter. That's the first people that you see, but you don't control yourself that. Yeah, of course, if a man sees a woman, he's going to be turned on by her, but that's still a family member. So it doesn't mean that you get turned on by her. You get turned on by somebody outside because men are visual. They are turned on by what they see. So if men are visual and if they're not keeping that visual in check, then they're going to be turned on by what they see, regardless of what the title is attached to it. Baby, daughter, cousin, sister-in-law, it doesn't matter. And that's the thing that Satan knows. If I could get him to just look at her a certain way, if I could just get him to feel that little "Mm," inside of him, (laughs) I got him. Satan knows that, and he plays on that daily. He plays on it all the time. Every time you think, of, I mean, when you think about it, just in a day, look at the songs that we hear, right? The songs that we hear all the time, always some little sexual innuendo in the, the lyrics. Look at the commercials, the commercials we have. Always got to have some sexy woman trying to sell dishwashing liquid. I mean, it's, it's, it's just mind boggling how when you really think about it, how sex is everywhere, everywhere, every day, 
how Satan just tries to attack you in your mind with that. Yes, he attacks you with other things. He attacks you with feeling um, self-loathing or, you know, you're not good enough, you're not worthy, you're not this, you're not that. But a lot of times when he's attacking women in their mind, what is he telling them? What's the first thing that he's telling women when he's attacking them in their mind? (laughs) You're not cute. You're not pretty. You're not sexy. You're too fat. Nobody wants somebody that looks like you. They want a body that looks like this. So you should starve yourself so you could look like this because men aren't going to want to be with you if you look like that. Oh, you wearing your hair like that? Men don't like women that wear their hair like that. They like women that wear their hair like this. Oh, you wearing that color nail polish? You can't wear that color nail polish because men don't like constantly, constantly. And then on the men's side, oh, you can't go around looking like that. You need to have this. You need to have six, a six pack. Nobody's going to look at you with that bare belly. Oh, nobody's looking at you. You're balding. You're losing your hair. What woman is going to find you sexy? And now the biggest thing. That's the trumpets playing. The biggest thing now is erectile dysfunction. Oh, you can do it when you want to. Take this now. You have little code words. Let's go do laundry. Oh, yeah, he's ready now. We have these pills, that pill, pop this, pop that. You always got to be ready. Satan is bombarding us, bombarding us with something that God gave to us naturally. So walk in the spirit so that you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And with that, it's time for us to take a music break. You've been listening to What Would Kay Say here on Radio Free Brooklyn, What Brooklyn Sounds Like. Oh, hey. 
watch if you're smart.
Listening to what would Kay say here on Radio Free Brooklyn, what Brooklyn sounds like. It is now time for the part of the show that I call Op Ed. 
And in today's op-ed, what did I tell you people? What did I tell you weeks ago? Monkeypox is now in the general population and has become a national health crisis. But didn't I tell you that from before? Didn't I tell you that from before? But hey, you heard it first here, right? But, but the good thing is God always warns us of what's going to come next. He always warns us of what's going to come next. So you're not caught off guard, right? And here's the next thing. I know you guys have heard about the polio, right? Circulating. And for those of you who haven't, and I was supposed to speak about this one before, but I mentioned it last week that I was going to speak about it, but I didn't. There's just been so, I'm telling you, op-ed is becoming such, it's like I'm in a cauldron and I'm stirring the pot. It's this giant vat that I'm just stirring. There is just so much going on. It's hard to keep up and keep everybody informed with everything. So I try to tell you as much as I possibly can when I when it comes to me. But now polio. Polio has been detected in New York City sewerage, which means that when you see a disease in the sewer, that means it's circulating. Because that means if people have it, then that means it's going to come out of their body and it's going to be in the waste. So if they're finding it in the sewer, then that means it's enough of it circulating because it ain't one person that, oh, okay, they found that detection of the one person. No, that means that it's a number of people. So they're saying, the health department is saying that it suggests that it's circulating in the city. Now, I remember the first cases they said was in Rockland, and now it's probably circulating down to the five boroughs. But here's the thing about it. We have a vaccine for pol- for polio. We've had this vaccine for years. If you think about it, there's a lot of us who have already been vaccinated against it because, oh, wow, remember back in the day when we couldn't enter school unless we were vaccinated? If you didn't have that vaccination card, don't bring your kid to school because they weren't having it. They didn't care if he could read the dictionary from cover to cover and told you what every word meant. He didn't have a vaccination card. She didn't have a vaccination card. Wasn't getting in. Today, not so much. So now we're seeing all these things coming back again. Coming back again, which we had it under control, but now it's raising its head again. But like I said, the good thing about with polio, there is a vaccine. There's been a vaccine. You don't have to worry about, oh, is the vaccine safe? Oh, they made it too fast. Oh, no, it's there. You want it? Take it. If not... I'm to the point where if there's something there and you can take it to prevent it, take it. If you don't want to take it, don't take it. But don't come complaining later on when you have it and be like, oh, they should have done something to better prevent. You can't better prevent people that are intermingling with each other and traveling and touching and feeling and having sexual intercourse with multiple people. You can't stop things from spreading. The only way you stop things from spreading is to not have contact. And it's not just, not all diseases are spread, spread sexually, but contact means even me talking in your face. So in order to stop the spread, 
We'd have to stop interacting. And we know that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen, right? But in other news, the CDC has eased the guidelines for COVID as far as quarantine. Now, they're saying if if you are infected with COVID, you only have to quarantine for five days with a mask. After that, free willy. Take your mask off. Go mingle among the public. I guess they're getting to the point where it's like, look, half of you weren't wearing your mask anyway. You weren't listening to anything we were saying. We were telling you to social distance. You weren't social distancing. You know what? Just put it out there. Everybody's basically vaccinated. If you're not vaccinated, there's enough of us vaccinated that if you get it, it shouldn't be that bad on you. They're just like, look, let's just have at it. But I'll tell you one thing. They eased the guidelines for the mask and social distancing, but they didn't say anything about washing your hands because, see, washing your hands was not just for COVID. And that's what I want everybody to keep in mind. Don't think that when they said the CDC guidelines were eased, that washing your hands was on that list. No, washing your hands is something you should be doing all the time regardless. Okay? And that's why I did a little moment of silence there for it to sink into some of us that found that we're thinking, oh, well, now we don't have to wash our hands. (laughs) Still continue to wash your hands. Okay? So now, on to other things. President Biden and the Democrats were able to pass the Inflation Reduction Act. Yay! This is deemed as a relief for the American people with the inflation that we're looking for. And kudos to the Democrats for doing something other than complaining about the Republicans. And speaking of Republicans, what's going on with that party? What is happening with Trump and those infamous papers that were removed from the White House? Hmm, like they just found out that that man took those papers The law governing the record-keeping responsibilities of the president is the Presidential Records Act, which was enacted in 1978 and requires any memos, letters, emails, and other documents related to the president's duties be preserved and given to the National Archives Archives and Records Administration at the end of an administration. But the archives have recently revealed that Trump tore up documents while in office, (laughs) like we're surprised, some of which were pieced back together by the White House records management official and brought with him more than a dozen of the boxes of items and letters to Mar-a-Lago in Florida. Okay, so... From what I just read there, they're saying that he tore up papers and then it was White House people pasting them back together like, like I said, like with the puzzle box. The thousand piece puzzles. You throw them up in the air and then you're like trying to put them all together to see which part goes to what. That's what he was doing with classified documents. But the real problem is there's no enforcement of this Presidential Record Act. So there's no one watching over to see if anyone's destroying documents, taking documents, Selling documents, giving documents away as Christmas presents, right? The first law states that anyone who willfully injures or commits any depredation against any property of the United States faces a fine or up to one year imprisonment if convicted. The second law states anyone who willfully and unlawfully conceals, removes, mutilates, obliterates, or destroys any records, proceedings, maps, books, papers, documents, and all other things filed or 
or disposed in any public office is subject to a fine or up to three years in prison if convicted. Now, I find this disturbing on many levels. For one thing, although the law is on the books, who's keeping watch over what's happening in the White House when people are just in there? But we never had to worry about that. <laughs> we never thought about that until Trump got in office, right? And let's, let's just say this. He had his family members on the staff. Who's to say what they were reading in classified documents while they were walking through the halls like it was just like if it was a family vacation home. But this is America, right? And then we wonder why people want to come here. That ends op-ed. Word of the month, people, abstinence, the practice of restraining oneself from indulging in something. Promise for the week, Psalm 135, 130, Psalm 130, verse 5. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I do hope. Listen, people, at the end of the day, we have to do what we have to do to keep ourselves and our families safe, right? So although all this is going on around us, we see it's like, ah, oh, so much, I can't do You just have to focus and do what you have to do to keep you and your family safe. And who better to help you and assist you with that than God, right? Because you know you can't do it by yourself. You know you can't rely on your neighbors. You know you can't rely on the news media. And you definitely can't rely on government if we know that they're sitting on the on the White House floor with that big rug with the presidential seal on it, trying to put together papers that have been torn up and shredded with the micro... What's that? Cross shredder? <laughs> Imagine them trying to put together pieces from a cross shredder. Imagine that. Anyway, I digress. Have a blessed weekend, people. Have a blessed weekend. Enjoy yourself. Stay safe. Right? Take care of one another. And until God brings us together again next week, peace.
stop. Please don't stop. The video stop. Please don't stop. The video stop. One love. You had it on your own love. The time not to be there. She says you won't care. And now you have something. Before you had nothing. I don't want to care. But your love's real. And it's a long thing. I cannot be a whole world. Let's sit on the fake grass. And I won't believe that. And I never had enough for you. But you said someone will come and replace me. How can you replace me? While it's true. Stop.